Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we want to focus on looking at what it takes to provide vision, direction, and strategic leadership for purposefully deploying VR in education. So we're fortunate today to have Freedom Chiteni on the show. He has been instrumental in the last few years in helping organizations move forward on VR deployment. One example of that in 2018, he spearheaded something called Moonshots in Education VR, which offered these immersive classes for high school kids and he taught this inside the VR platform, Engage. Beyond that, Freedom has been part of many consultancy groups, and he's a huge champion for XR innovations, especially for marginalized groups, which we'll look at later in one of my questions. Welcome to the show, Freedom. I'm so happy to be in, uh, in the show, Greg, and thank you for inviting me. Listen, one of the first questions I always invite guess is just to know what their origin story is as it pertains to VR. So what, what got you interested in VR in the first place? I've been teaching. I've been teaching for over 14 years and I've taught not just high school, but also undergrad and grad school. And I'm a neuroscientist by training. And consider that the school education system is so antiquated. And in my experience, after teaching for all these years, including you know computer science at Stanford and math and science at Los Altos in Silicon Valley, I found that there was a gap uh, in the way that we were teaching our students and the need to provide a more immersive education was necessary. And so the idea of a moonshot in education really suggested to me that we have to do something that's radically necessary, but almost difficult to accomplish. Because a moonshot is essentially something that is difficult to accomplish, but you do it anyhow. And being, being recognized internationally um, you know, as the tra uh, transformer of global moonshots in education um, later and looking at the future of work, I co-founded um, Silicon Valley's um, startup uh, called InventXR, which had the explicit mission to connect the unconnected to exponential technologies. And it was during one of my courses at Stanford University called Design as Discovery for high school students that I invited uh, on campus, where students brainstormed ideas and they suggested that what if, what if we could have a school that's entirely in VR? 
And that was the beginning of what is now the world's first VR school, which has graduated its first 60 students uh, in this last year. And some of the kids, uh, you know, they're at Stanford, at Brown, at, uh, at Berkeley, at Menlo College, and you name it. So it's, it's, a, it's a very, very exciting time for us um, when we look at XR and education. What would a typical day look like for a student in this scenario that has schooling completely in VR? Are they in the headset for most of the day? Talk, especially people who are so new to this medium, talk people through what you know their timetable might look like for something like that. Okay. So first, XR is not merely another educational technology tool um, but it is indeed a paradigm shift in our relationship with technology in the classroom and in the workplace. Well, we are no longer just viewing media within this classroom wall, this rectangular frame over here. Um, and students now have a world that's more extended. So at the VR school, most of the kids actually call it the variable reality school because they are not spending, they're not spending an entire day in VR. A typical day includes collaborating and doing some uh, project, some project or, or Meeting in virtual reality, a typical day includes um, participating in field trips and, uh, and activities and creating content and creating um, some very, very um, innovative uh, projects where there is an intersection here of XR and AI and blockchain. So there are exciting things that uh, the kids are, are participating in. And just to be clear, the VR school was founded, co-founded by high school students. I was simply guiding them as a teacher. So the role of the teacher has actually shifted. This was a classroom project that became realized by the California Department of Education as a private school and we're the first 16 students building their own computers that would work on the Oculus Rift. Because at the time, you needed to have a powerful computer and a headset to access VR. And so the first course included build a computer that works on VR. And there was a moonshot design lab where the students built that. I was amazed. It took them only one day to put together a computer that would work on VR. And then we went to Oculus. We got 20 headsets. So for the next three days, they explode VR experiences. Before I knew it, they were now building experiences, including an experience of being in a jail. Like, what does it look like to be stuck? What does it look like to, uh, what, what is the perspective of an insect? in relationship to, <clears throat> to, uh, to a giant um, building. 
And so I noticed that the students had a particular capacity to not only experience the technology, but they immediately began to build their own applications in Unity. Now, a question arose, what if we could reinvent our school? And so by the way, I was actually teaching a course at a school called Design Tech High School at Oracle here in Silicon Valley. It is the first public school, charter school on a corporate campus sponsored by Oracle. So I actually was involved in the co-founding of that school. And, and so, with, yes. As, as this ruled out freedom, obviously as a design person myself, we learn from mistakes in design, we iterate, we go back and we reflect. Tell me some of those underpinnings and understandings, you know, now that, you know, fast forward a few years and, you know, you've put on various hats in the XR and the VR uh, platforms. What did, what would you do differently from what you learned with that moonshot uh, class or school that you set up with those uh, students? Well, this was a traditional classroom, right? And we had to build a digital campus, a digital twin of the school. And I would, I would consider, I would consider still involving students in the design process because they are the users of the technology and they are the future indeed. And one of the challenges was the resources, you know, it's like, it was expensive. It's ex uh, a gaming computer, you know, was at least a thousand dollars. And so for a regular school, that would not be possible. So what I would do differently to start a VR school, we will be starting small, start it as a micro school, like do start it as a moonshot VR lab, where you give students um, the tools that will allow them to, in fact, build a VR school. Because once you build the VR school in that moment, it can be scaled to millions. And so, what about the, the curriculum itself? You sort of, it sounds like the curriculum was more uh, open-ended. You know, you, you talked about, you know, student projects sort of drove the curriculum um, and it wasn't so rigid like maybe a, a math class where you have such a rigid knowledge-based curriculum. So uh, the curriculum that you used in this particular setup was what? So I still looked at the curriculum that exists, you know, within the States and the Common Core uh, in the United States. But I also knew from my work and research that the future of work itself demanded a different type of curriculum where students were no longer just the consumers of knowledge, but creators of knowledge. And when I use knowledge here, I distinguish it from information. Mm -hmm. The information is all is there already. Uh, my students, in fact, 
put together a whole curriculum based on open educational resources like the MIT um, um, Open Education Resources with MOOCs. You can take any class that's being taught, for example, at Stanford right now. Every class that has ever been taught at Stanford, you can take for free. You have Coursera and all kinds of things like edX. So it wasn't so much about the information that exists. It was about how to turn that information into knowledge. So within the classroom, so for example, like the Magic Lip uh, one's um, Lumen operating system allowed multiple wearers to share in a digital experience such as a dissection or historical map. I had to get a Magic Leap for 3,500 and I got a grant for it because one student wanted to check it out to look at VR and AR. And that provided some insight from a collaborative um, creation standpoint. Like if we could use this application, the Magic Leap, to join forces on 3D designs, such as the design of the entire school campus, then we will be successful to have like the augmented reality convergence with virtual reality, also along with like biometric sensors um, and AI to give an extraordinarily different education system. And by the way, what I'm saying right now already exists. The kids already have created a VR blockchain AI integration. And these are high school students who are following a curriculum that is structured, but also gave them the freedom to explore, to create, to design, to fail, to iterate. And the curriculum itself is individually customizable, responsive, and is accelerated based on where the students are at any given time. It is continuous and it's really what, I'm, what we call the learn everywhere and learn anything education, which is not confined to the classroom. The moment the kids put on that headset, they begin to meet up with experts from anywhere in the world. Like Jeremy Bellinson was one of the first ones that we met. The kids interviewed him. Um, they found anybody and everybody they could find to make sense of it. So I gave them the tools to research, the tools to build, and the tools to create um, an, an educational system that is now the core conversation today. I mean, mm. the pandemic itself, the human cost of the pandemic is incalculable. And when you look at what has happened in this pandemic, my students were not impacted. Learning did not stop because when the school officially opened, there were already 
familiar with working with real physical objects in virtual reality, in 2D screens, their educational system was in fact extended. And that is how the idea of InventXR came about. Again, InventXR is a company that was also started by my students. Now, this is a much more progressive model of education than many North American teachers and administrators and educators in general are used to. Do you think, let's say people do want to scale up VR, do you think it's hard, It's going to be hard to get people to buy into this more progressive model? And will, will there be enough qualified and enthusiastic teachers and administrators that would step into these roles? Or can it be like your model, mostly just student driven? I think the pandemic helped show us that it has to be student driven. So take, for example, one of my students, Miriam Hart, right? She was 16 years old when she did start at the VR school. And she really worked hard in learning Unity and built some applications. And by the time that Miriam applied to, um, to college, she was accepted in, uh, at Stanford and she took a class at Stanford called What is VR? And Stanford University in the first quarter realized that this young lady actually knew more than the professors there. And so they made her her first quarter as a core teacher hmm. in the course she was taking. This particular model gave her the tools to think like a moonshot thinker, to always be in that mindset, to launch into what I'm calling movement thinking. So education is always moving. So, so Miriam gained the tools that allowed her to navigate a complex world. And even Stanford itself discovered that it was not as prepared as they thought to teach this type of student. Yes. So wait, sorry, keep going, yep. Yes, it is progressive. Yes, it's a little unsettling to just give kids all this freedom. You, you give them a lot of trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. We call that trick in Moonshots. The trick method does wonders because students like Miriam are already making a difference at Stanford. Now, Stanford just did its first VR class and Miriam and myself were part of that and Jeremy Bellinson four years ago. So the adoption took a few years, but it did take a particular thinker to just move forward anyhow. So you've mentioned a couple things that I kind of want to 
backtrack on. One is if a school wants to dive into XR or even just virtual reality with their educational system, they could create a digital campus, for example, you talked about that, and then maybe meet up synchronously. But you also mentioned through the work that you've done with the Moonshot uh, school or VR school was that students were starting to design their own asynchronous applications as well to demonstrate some of their learning. Uh, a school just getting started maybe doesn't have the money or the time or, or the energy to do both these things. Is one more important than another to get started? Would you recommend first creating digital campuses that they can then meet up in? Or would you suggest that maybe asynchronous app design is a better way to go when they first start? Well, the way I'll do it is, um, is how I actually did it. So in order, in order for us to build a VR school right now and today, you don't actually need to have a digital twin of a campus. But psychologically, whenever I bring people to the VR school, it's an actual campus. It's a physical campus. They've been to the campus. It exists in the physical world. Psychologically, the adoption here for teachers was a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with this location. It looks real. Uh, that's my class. This is you right here with me. Uh, so this works. I could have easily taken, have taken them to Mars. The most teachers uh, might be confused. You say, well, but this is not school. You're just giving me like an experience on Mars. A physical campus with a supporting digital twin lowers that cognitive load for adoption. Because once you're in the physical campus, we never spend too much time in it, actually. Okay, guys, let's meet uh, at the Designship Moonshot School. We meet there, and then we can always, you know, move to a different location. But you don't need that. It's just there to help people visualize and experience that, you know, it's still school. It's just different. That is so interesting because I, I have used various platforms like Engage, Altspace, and I have brought students in there. And, you know, they were, you know, th they certainly saw it as novel and interesting, but I had to up my instructional design game because it's just a space like you alluded to. It's a digital twin is still just a space. It's, what are we going to do in that space became kind of the important question that we all had to talk about, my students and I, so that it was meaningful learning and not just, you know, sit and listen to PowerPoint or Google Slides and didactically fill information into their heads in a digital space. Because as you talked about, that's not quality education anymore. Right. It's just, it's a repetition of the old model. You're using using an old model of thinking, you know, it's, 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 there's no difference. So if you look at um, 
all my students who took this new way of education and learning, I've had some students get accepted, like at UC Berkeley, say, no, I'm not doing that. It's a waste of my time. But rather, I'm going to um, start this new venture over here. And some of the students have been funded tens of millions. So consider Elvis. Elvis, Elvis uh, came to the VR school as well at 16. And through that process, his question was, well, my mother is suffering from some respiratory issues uh, and from China. And so I want to solve that. And so what we did with Elvis was use VR itself as a prototyping tool to invent a new type of mask called Oxy2. And when he did his design, we set him up with the uh, Stanford Nanofabrication Lab, where he invented a new type of material and got a patent on it. And that was in 2017. Fast forward 2019, the pandemic hits, and I get a call from Elvis saying he just got an offer for $20 million to see if they could buy, this company could buy his technology for his new for, his, for the mask he's been working on for two years. And we discussed that and I said, well, if this technology and this company are a natural correlate to your mission, I would say yes. But on condition that you keep the IP because you declared a mission, your mission was to help people be healthier. Your mission was to help create, um, was to help create um, an environment that works for all. And so what Elvis did, what Elvis did was um, declare a mission with a major impact. And he took the $20 million. When the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic, Stanford University and every other major university shut down. He took the next flight and put together a factory to manufacture his masks, which were shipped. And he was shipping hundreds of thousands of masks to hospitals right here in Silicon Valley. And this was a, a high school senior. He had a solution that was future ready than all the major universities combined in a crisis. They shut down instead. Hmm. What a great story. You know, you've always been freedom, a, a champion for standing up for inequalities in education. So, for example, one of your posts on LinkedIn, I'm going to quote you here, and you can explain it and get to my question. I quote you, I was concerned when wealthy charter schools like Design Tech High and Nuevo School receive millions of dollars when schools that serve historically disadvantaged kids did not benefit from any PPP funds. Tell me a bit about this, and is this sort of the norm for XR technologies? Is that the marginalized are being shut out of 
opportunities? Yes, it's, it's always been like that. If you look at the indigenous people, if you look at uh, historically these uh, enfranchised uh, communities, it is a problem of opportunity to experience these new emerging and exponential technologies. In Silicon Valley, we are fortunate because we are exposed to design, experts, uh, but at the same time, most of the world is still like in the last century. And the education inequity that we see is going to have lasting consequences for humankind. And I think that we have to look at this wealth gap. I was able to put together a VR school because I also have the privilege of being right here in Silicon Valley and I have I had I have mentors, I had coaches, I had people I could talk to to raise funds for my students to run that first class um, of 20 kids, it was a $25,000 two-week fun experiment, right? Most schools, most communities cannot afford an experiment of that nature. How do we fix this? How we fix it is by doing what you're doing, I think this podcast is going to be a significant component uh, in the history um, and in the future of education itself. I think we need uh, champions like yourself um, to be able to have these conversations. Because in the years I heard, uh, Craig, like the convergence of XR with AI will totally... uh, close that um, yeah. equity gap in our schools. And I think it's in our best interest to provide funding for the historically disadvantaged kids. And if you look at the story of all my kids, all of them came from disenfranchised backgrounds. In fact, they were failing in the traditional educational system. And my first class, I, I self-funded it. <laughs> I paid for That's, everything. That is so noble, freedom. Wow, impressive. And they made it to the world's elite universities. And they also made it into the world by creating companies like Elvis and Miriam and Alfonso and Arthur and Lucas, my kids collectively in the last three years in the VR school have contributed in the economy at least $300 million. Would you say say XR and VR had a huge role to play? Let's say the school wasn't sort of underpinned by these technologies. Do you think these kids would be as successful or was... VR and then X, some XR stuff that you used, a huge catapult 
towards their success? It was absolutely XR. There is mm. no doubt in my mind because what XR did was it opened doors and worlds that the kids would never imagine in a regular classroom. It expanded their imagination. It expanded their capacity to think beyond what is already there today. Without XR, I mean, think for all of history, our lives have been limited by the laws of physics and mitigated by the five senses. And VR rewrote those rules for my kids. They did start off, of course, of VR school, here's our digital campus. The next thing is they are flying dragons. So their imagination was sparked. Like it's no longer a myth that you can fly a dragon. They could do that on Engage. So it let us digitize experiences and teleport our senses into this fantastic world where the limits of imagination became the only break on reality. My kids learned that no was really not something that could be accepted anymore. If it was not there, that was the opportunity for design and to invent something. And that is how they chose InventXR. We brought in XR as a brand before it became popular. That's what it was my kids in my classroom that bought the domain inventxr.com. Because they were thinking about XR as the opportunity to invent the future, to democratize travel and education and everything else in unprecedented realms. One day, allowing first graders and second graders to travel to the moon, to Mars, or planets even further afield. As I'm talking to you right now, Craig, I am in a second grade class. The first one in the world where they're doing exactly what was invented by these high school students three years ago. And as the VR space is massively heating up, we are seeing the biggest opportunities in education, but we're also seeing the biggest gaps and inequities. Yeah, and I would add to that, Freedom, that you know your story and vignette is so poignant to people looking at this new medium and the way to approach it. Because again, my worry and my concern, which many of us out there have learned uh, already in, is we don't want to repeat the industrial model of schooling inside VR. We want, as you have um, magically talked about, we want kids to have agency with VR. We want kids to create. We want them to ruminate. We want them to think deep. And deploying VR 
simply just as a tool to allow teachers to fill their heads with content knowledge that they can look up in a textbook. That's that's not, I think, where VR gets its superpower. So ha- having you tell your story hopefully will help others understand that when they look at scaling VR, that there's a right way and then there's a wrong way. Freedom, is there anything else left unsaid that you feel the audience might want to hear about your relationship with deploying and providing leadership with XR technologies or VR in specific? I mean, to, uh, thank you, Craig. I mean, to think about it, you know, before the pandemic, the average adult was spending over nine hours a day looking at a screen. And that's the, that counts for more than a third of our livelihood. And simply consuming information from a 2D screen is not helping anybody. We have an opportunity right now to look at what works. I have a model that works. My kids can be on your podcast. They can tell you it works. You can see how successful they are. And I think that we need to shift, even from moonshot thinking. We have been to Mars already. Mars is no longer, uh, the moon is no longer an aspiration. So moonshot thinking is already too outdated. (laughs) Because in VR, our kids are already exploring Mars and other places and other planets. And they, they are creating and inventing their own worlds. So moonshot thinking is already antiquated. There is a type of thinking that I believe XR has expanded the potential for humankind. And that thinking is movement thinking. We now have. I love that. That I just love that. I love that term, movement thinking. I love that term. That is a thinking that that will withstand the test of time. Freedom. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about uh, Invent XR or some of the other sort of hats that you're wearing in the XR and then? more specifically, the VR world? You know, the best way really is to find me on LinkedIn. You know, just find uh, just find Freedom Chitani there. Uh, I'll be there. Or and they can email me. I get a lot of emails. Um, so, but I, I always get to them. Uh, <laughs> so, my, so my email is uh, free, uh, freedom at inventxr.com. Wonderful. Listen, I am so appreciative of having you on the show today to share your story, your vision. As I said, it it is in huge congruence with how I believe VR and then in general XR technology should be used and given to students. So thanks for telling that great narrative. And, and thank you, Craig. I'm, I'm looking forward to coming back and uh, exploring this uh, some more. Uh, you know, one of the things I was wondering about is 
it should be so great to work with you um, and even get this podcast done in VR. Mm. Yes, that would uh, certainly add more um, an interesting light on it. And, and, you know, you talked about how moving to that medium often unlocks uh, different kinds of thinking. So, you know, you've got me, you've got me interested already, Freedom. But you're doing it, you're doing it the right way because you have to do it this way. This is more like the digital twin of what you're working on hmm. to get everyone understand what's going on because people are not on headsets yet. So you're doing, this is exactly how I would do it in every vertical. So I want to also congratulate you and I'm looking forward to um, f- uh, future collaborations. Thanks, my friend. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I, w- I wish you a, a wonderful 2022 and hope that Invent XR and some of the other initiatives that you hang your hat on continue to prosper uh, for, as I said before, because it's only going to benefit kids. Well, thank you so much, Mike.